because uh, just a fair warning, okay, um, as we jump into the text for today, uh, I may step on some toes. Right? Like, I'm just letting you know from the beginning, there might be some moments in today's message that are a little bit tense, they're a little uncomfortable, um, and, and I say that because I do want you to know that like, I, I, like, I love you guys very much, I'm like crazy, I, I, I want to see you thriving and living the life that God has for you, but I have been told multiple times that I do not have the spiritual gift of mercy, okay? And so like, sometimes when I get really excited about things, it just kind of comes off like, oh, wow, is he mad? Like, I'm not mad, I promise, okay? Because um, we're going to engage in a conversation today. We're going to look at something that Jesus says that in the moment that we find ourselves in, in the culture that we find ourselves in, and kind of where things are at, he is going to say something that is a charged conversation that we're in. Uh, and he's going to push against some beliefs and some ideas that we, we hold and, and, and something that we argue about because Jesus is going to, in our passage today, start talking about freedom. And if you think about, like, the moment that we're in, the arguments that we have, and the tension that we feel, so much of it revolves around this idea of freedom. Am I free or not? Can I do what I want to do or not? Like, we tend to define freedom that way. I can do what I want, when I want, when I want, where I want, when I want, how I want, whenever I want, right? It's like, that's freedom. Like, just complete individual autonomy. And so that's the conversation that we've been having. You take over the past last couple of years and just think about the tensions and the vitriol and the cultural pressure around this idea of, like, am I free or not? That's two and a half, three years we've been arguing about freedom as it relates to masks and vaccines and lockdowns. This past year, things got really, really tense in the past couple of months, really, where we've been having conversations around freedom when it comes to, like, my body, my choice. What about the rights or the freedoms of the unborn and the rights or the freedoms of women? We've been having conversations around freedom as it relates to identity. Am I able to just determine everything about myself or are there objective realities? And am I free to ignore objective reality? Am I free to enforce that upon somebody else? What about free speech? Can I say whatever I want or is there censorship and, uh, and cancel culture? Am I free to say stuff? We just had elections this past week, and this is like the quintessential moment of freedom. In every single election cycle, every candidate, every politician, we will. We are the ones protecting your freedom. We're going to fight for your freedom. And the other, the other guy is a very threat to your freedom. Okay, like he, like you will. If they get, it's the apocalypse if they get voted into office. Okay, because freedom is is on the line. And if I can just be really, really frank, my name's actually Phil, but if I can be frank for a moment. Like a big guy named Frank. Frank. Okay, I'm Frank. Okay, your name's Frank. I'm sorry. I don't know. I told you it's been a morning already. Um, based on the results of this week's election, some of you are like, I think like freedom won the day because good things happen. And I like what happens. Some of you think it's the end of the world. And if you're in either one of those places, then you created an idol out of your politics. I said we're stepping on toes right off the get go. This is the conversation that we're, our culture is in. What, is, what does it mean to be free? And Jesus is going to kind of wade into that, and it's beautiful and brilliant, because what he's actually going to do is actually, no matter where you fall on different conversations and things, he says, you have the, the wrong definition of what freedom even is. Freedom's not what you think it is. In fact, like the idea of freedom being like complete individual autonomy, he says that's actually really just another form of slavery. You're not free if you just do what you want, when you want, where you want, however you want. So that's where we're going today, and it's going to be great, all right? John chapter 8 is where we have you to follow, where we're at, if you want to follow along in the Bible, it's going to be up on the screens as well. Um, if all of this works, we're doing something slightly different today, even with the screens. Um, 
John chapter 8, we've been kind of going through this, these last couple of chapters, it's been around this idea, this time, the Feast of Tabernacles, so Jesus is in the city of Jerusalem, the city's packed, there's massive crowds of people, and he's, I mean, he's just like bringing like massive ideas, and there's crowds of people, and there's religious leaders, and he's just thing after thing after thing, and another one of those big ideas today, so it's still kind of the same context as uh, John records this for us. Well, I don't want that for you guys. I messed it all up. It's all messed up. Let's try it uh, now. Hey, got it. I didn't want you to see my highlights ahead of time. I give stuff away. Right? So John chapter 18, verse 31, as we're at, um, John records this verse. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you continue my word, you're really my, in my word, you're really my disciples. So he's talking to those who believe. This is really important. Because Jesus is talking to a group of people, right? Like he shows up, he's talking to these Jewish people, he's doing these things, he's saying these things. It's like, I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm the Messiah, I'm the anointed one, I'm actually God in the flesh. And some of these Jewish people are like, okay, we think we kind of, we, we believe you, right? Like we're, we're tracking with you. And so he's, he's talking to people and addressing people who are like, we think we believe these claims that you're making about yourself. And so as we engage in the conversation today, the text we're going to look at, we need to keep the same thing in mind. While he's addressing all of us, and there's something for all of you, no matter where you're at on the faith journey, what you think about Jesus, like the primary audience, first off, is like, hey, if you say you're a believer, you say you're my follower, pay attention. And he says, hey, those who believed in him, Jesus says something to them that I think should catch our attention. He says, like, okay, you believe in me, but if you're really my disciples, then you'll do something. If. So there's this, this idea that it's, it's a little bit scary, but not like meant to be like, oh, no, he's out to get you. But it's just like it should cause us to pay attention. If you're a Christian or a follower of Jesus, it's, it's possible to be a Christian and not actually be a disciple. But like it's possible to believe certain things and believe the right things about Jesus and be like, I go to church and I have the right belief. And like, I'm a Christian, but not actually be a disciple. A disciple is someone who follows a teacher, in this case, who follows Jesus. Like, a, a disciple or a follower of Jesus is someone who says, you know, with my life, with everything I do and everything I say and everything I think, like, I'm, I'm shaping that and going after the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, his example, his teachings. Like, everything about my life is about the person of Jesus. And so that's what a disciple is. And it's like, hey, it's, it's possible to be like, I go to church every week and I read my Bible and I believe the right things and I put signs in my yard or I have a little white cross in my yard or whenever there's uh, like political polls, like someone says, like, what's your religious affiliation? You're like, I'm a Christian and by golly, I'm going to defend Christianity. It's possible to do all of that and not actually be following Jesus. And so it's like, okay, we've got to, well, what does it actually look like to follow him? And he says, uh, in this particular verse, he's like, if you're actually my disciple, there's something you're going to do. So you're going to continue in my word. You'll continue in my word. A little bit later in John's gospel, he actually kind of gets even more specific and says, you'll, you'll continue, or sometimes it's translated as abide or remain. You'll continue or abide in me. He gives us this word picture. It's like, it's like I'm the, Jesus is the vine, and you're the branches, and if you get cut off from the vine, then you're going to kind of wither and die. You've got to remain in Jesus. And I, I, a lot of times I've heard it translated as like abide, and I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Because <laughs> like abide to me just sounds very, very spiritual. It's like I'm just abi- like, to me, it's like abiding in Jesus is like, it's me and my Bible, my cup of coffee, and my morning devos, right? Like that's abiding. It's, it's in a car, cranking the worship music. It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. Not literally, okay, because that would be bad, right? And that's good, and that's fine. Um, but sometimes we over-spiritualize things when there's actually a simpler explanation. Um, the word abide, or it's translated abide, or here, continue. I actually like the translation continue here in the CSB. is the Greek word meno, um, not minnow, meno. 
And it, it literally means to remain, to stay, to continue on. It's like, so if you're my follower, you're going to continue in me. The idea that, uh, that with the Christianity, Christian faith, is it's not about a decision that you make once in your life. It's not about, hey, when I was at camp, when I was 15, I prayed a prayer, so I'm a, I'm a Christian. It's not about what I did sometime in the past. It's, am I following Jesus? Am I faithful to Jesus in the present? Like, that's what the Christian faith is. Am I faithful today? It's not about the first day that I decided to follow Jesus, but on the last day of my life, whether that's five years from now or 50 years from now, will I still be following him? So I want you to remain in me in that way. And like I said later, he'll say, I want you to abide or to remain in me. But he says, here, I want you to remain in my word. If you're my disciple, if you're my follower, if you're chasing after me, here's how you do that. You you stay anchored and rooted and remaining in my word, in the scripture, what we would call the Bible. So that's how you do it. You know, it's crazy. I was thinking about this. Um, you know, the invitation of Jesus, I was preparing this week. The invitation of Jesus was always, when he was on earth, was, hey, come follow me. You walk up to people from all walks of life, tax collectors, prostitutes, sinners, like these people. It's like, hey, you, like, I want to change your life. Come follow me. And they would literally stop what they were doing, and they would follow him. Like physically, literally, wherever he went, whatever he did, they were there, they were doing that. That was the invitation. But following Jesus in that kind of way has only been possible for a three-year period in all of human history. Like there's only ever been three years where like Jesus is like walking around on earth where he's got disciples and he's calling to follow him. He's like, this is how, this is how you do it. And so while that was only possible for three years, the invitation of Jesus has been the same for 2,000. Hey, I still want people to come follow me. So how, how do we do that? It's not like, hey, there he is, here I go. He says, here's how you do it. You remain in my word. You abide, you stay, you, you, you get in this thing, this, this scripture. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I'll spend a little more time on it because I just mentioned it briefly. But when it comes to scripture engagement, when it comes to reading the Bible or living in it, it's like this three-legged stool. If you kick out one of the legs, you've got a problem because you're falling on your face. And so we read the scripture. They all start with S because, you know, maybe that's more memorable. They, you, we read the scripture, empowered by the Spirit, and in community with the saints. That just means the church, but saints starts with S, so that's what we went with. You read the scripture, you say, I'm living in this, I'm, I'm immersing myself in this, I'm going to, I want to try to understand it, but then, but then I do it while empowered or inspired or transformed or enlightened by God's spirit. When we become a follower of Jesus, he's like, I'm going to put my spirit in you, and the very presence of God will come to live in you. And so when I engage the scriptures, like, God, I need you to reveal something to me. I need you to show something to me. I need you to, to make this come alive in my life and in my heart, because I can't do it on my own. By your spirit, will you transform me through the reading of this word? And we do it in community with the saints, in a faith community with the church, as we can bounce this off of one another, as we can do this thing together. Because I want you to remain in the scriptures in that kind of way. That's how you'll actually follow me. Because it's in the scriptures that we, dis we discover it's the story of God. It's what he's doing throughout human history. It's how he's working and moving in the world. And ultimately, it, it comes to a point. It finds its culmination in the person of Jesus. It's when we open up the scriptures that we actually discover, okay, this is who God is. And this is what he's like. And this is what his heart's after. And this is what he thinks. And this is what's important to him. And we also discover not just stuff about God. We discover stuff about us and humanity. This is who humanity is. What's wrong with humanity? And if I'm a follower of Jesus, this is how I'm to live and how I'm to think and how I'm to process stuff. Everything about my life, from the smallest things to the biggest things, from money to sex to family to politics to my neighbors to work to friends to everything. I'm running it through this filter of, okay, what is the story of God as revealed in the scripture? So as Jesus followers, we read this thing in. 
I'm, I'm in it. I'm immersed in it. I'm living in it. I'm empowered by the Spirit. God, please reveal something to me as I go to your word today. I can't do this on my own. And we do it in community with the saints. It happens in a Sunday morning environment. It happens in small groups in people's homes. It happens over text messages. Hey, I read this. What do you think about this? How's that going? But it's not just our local church that we read in community with. We read in community with the church globally. Because there, there's these beautiful gifts to the church, people who are scholars and theologians and experts in the languages that, can, that produce commentaries and videos and podcasts that help us to understand what's being said. That's reading it in community with the saints. And, and it's not just here in our context, it's the church global. Because I, I know this is so hard to get outside of our own context sometimes, but, but Christians in different parts of the world, in Africa and Asia and in India and all over the Middle East, all over the world, they understand the scriptures differently than we do because they have a different life experience than we do. And so it's a matter of hearing these voices and saying, okay, what, how does the church understand this? And not just the church locally, and not just the church, church globally, but the, the church across history and time. That for 2,000 years, it's like, okay, how has the church understood this passage? How has the church understood this text? How has the church understood this verse? How has the church understood the gospel and the good news of Jesus? And then we take all of that, and we're like, okay, I'm letting this rub up against me and bump up against me and challenge me. And I take that, and I go, okay, so this is what life is. I read the scripture empowered by the spirit in community with the saints and I go, okay, so this is reality. This is how I view the world. Because there's the reality that what it looks like out there. I go outside and I kind of experience day-to-day life, but then there's how things really are. And that's the lens that we get. That's how I see the entire world. That's how we're called to live versus I'm just going to feel a bunch of stuff. My feelings may change based on my season of life or based on my circumstances or based on the cultural moment that I find myself in. I'm going to feel a bunch of things and I'll just base my life off of what I feel. And some of us have some pretty serious scars to show for this, but living your life based on just what you feel is a dangerous place to live. Our feelings betray us. Our feelings so often lead to pain because there's nothing... There's nothing bigger than me. There's nothing solid. There's nothing foundational. There's nothing greater that I can anchor my life to. So Jesus says, hey, if you want to be my follower, you want to be my disciple, I need you to remain in my word. That's why as a church, like, we, we open this thing up every single week. We're like, hey, we're going to talk about the Bible. We, we go through books. We do topical stuff. It's always like, hey, what? Well, how would God have us live? Where do we discover that? We discover that in Scripture. I mean, you come with that expectation, right? You came to church today, and like, when I said, hey, we're going to talk about this passage, you're not like, what? The Bible? What is this? Like, no, we have this expectation that this is what we, this is what we do together. But I just got to say, it's got to be more than a Sunday thing. It's got to be more than one hour a week. Because if I'm just getting the, the, the Jesus narrative and the Jesus way of seeing life, if I'm getting that for one hour a week, and the other 167 hours in my week, I'm being bombarded with other things. Which do you think will win out in the end? The one or the 167? So you've got to remain. You've got to remain. I need, I need this kind of what's called a meta-narrative, this big overarching story that's going to lead me, that's going to guide me, that's going to be the lens through which I see life. And if, as a Christian, if I don't choose that that's going to be the Jesus way, if I don't choose to live in the Scripture, something else will be chosen for me to be that narrative over my life. And usually it happens without us even knowing it, without us even realizing it. And when, we're, when we get pushed against, we're like, no, I don't, I don't do that. But it's like, you know, without even thinking of it, all of a sudden the lens through which I see life and the thing that is authoritative over my life ends up being the conservative narrative or the progressive narrative or the narrative of I'm just chasing after pleasure and feelings and emotions or the narrative of materialism and consumerism or the, mater- uh, the, the narrative of it's about power and, uh, and status. And, uh, uh, there's hundreds of different narratives that say this is the way to live, this is how to see the world, this is how to process things. And if I'm not saying as a Christian, like I'm choosing the Jesus story, 
to be my authority, that I'll be swept off in all kinds of, of directions. And so it's saying, like, I'm, I'm deciding that I'm a Jesus person. I'm living the Jesus story. And so I need to know the Jesus story, which means living uh, in the scripture. And listen, guys, I get it. Sometimes it's boring, okay? It's okay to say, man, that's, this is boring, this Bible. I don't, understand, I don't understand it. It is confusing. What is going on in this passage? There's so many names and weird laws, and it's written into an ancient culture. I mean, it, it's just like, what do I do with this? But I promise you, if you'll, if you'll put the work in, it's worth it. Because I think one of the things that we do is, like, we come to it, like, I don't know what this says, and I don't know what to do with this, and so I just quit. I just give up. But it's not, like, the Scripture is not something that you open up and go, I sat down with this once, and I've understood it. It's I sit down with this over the course of a lifetime, and I understand more and more. And even when I get to the end of my lifetime, there are still beauties and treasures within it that I haven't even began to scratch the surface on. That's how we engage this, the Scripture. It's this lifelong process of going, God, show more. I, I want to know more of you. Reveal more of yourself to me. And it's those parts that are difficult, actually, that, that bring beauty and, and just kind of enlighten, like, the, the parts that we know that we love. We're like, oh, my gosh, I've never seen that before. It's incredible. You know, I, I was thinking about it, and it's, is, is a little track with me because this is kind of a strange illustration. But like, um, so my son Braxton, he doesn't do this so much anymore, but up until about a year ago, we would sit down and we would watch movies. Like, uh, like specifically like kind of action-y, fantasy, um, sci-fi type stuff, right? Like so we, we every year we make sure to watch through The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. We usually watch the Narnia movies. Um, we go through like all of the Marvel stuff, all of the Star Wars stuff. Just love it, right? It's great. I'm like it's something that we do together. We Sometimes, especially when it gets to winter, and you're like, it's 5 o'clock and it's dark. What do we do? Well, we'll start at the beginning of the, of the Marvel stuff again. That'll take at least a month, right? Whatever. Um, probably more than that. But for the longest time, what he would do is like, we'd be watching it, and he's like, when's the battle going to start? When's the fight scene going to start? Where's the action? And we'd be watching the part at the beginning with, like, you know, there's people talking, and there's character development, and there's kind of the plot lines being set up. And he's like, this is boring. In fact, for a while, actually, after we watched um, Avengers Endgame, Spoiler alert, which, by the way, if you've not seen it yet, come on, it's been out for years. What are you doing? Um, there's, a, there's the part at the end of Avengers Endgame where it's like, it's the battle. And like, seriously, half the movie is this, this big, long end battle. It's like 45 minutes to an hour long, right? And, um, you know, it's the part where, where, where the, it looks like they're going to lose and Captain America's all beat up. And then all of a sudden he hears, he hears Sam Wilson, Falcon, come through on the radio. On your left. It's like, here they come. I'm not crying. You're crying. They're all back. If, you, you know what I'm saying, if, you, if you've seen it before, right? But, but he would get to that part just love that part. So we'd watch it. He's like, I want to watch Avengers. I'm like, go ahead and watch Avengers. He would just start the movie there and just watch that part, right? Because, like, that's exciting to him. But, like, as a kid, it's like, man, you don't understand that what makes that battle, like, have any kind of meaning or significance is because we've spent years getting to know these characters and knowing their story and their character arc and, and the, the, the conversations with each other and the love for each other. And I just want us to see that sometimes that's how we come to the scripture, right? We're the little kid saying, I just want the battle scene. Just give me the part where Jesus loves me and he died for me and I can do all things and we're more than conquerors. I like that stuff. And that stuff's great and that stuff's beautiful. But when you, you spend your life immersed in it, man, you get into the parts, it's like, what's up with this list of genealogies and this weird history of Israel and like these strange laws? It's like, those are the parts when we go into it and then we like, Oh my gosh, Jesus is amazing. It's just, it's just spending time in it. I'm telling you, it's spending time in it, and, and we, we want to help on that journey. So we've got resources, we've got different things, Bible studies and videos and podcasts, and we can point your direction. I want us to be a church that falls in love with, with the Scripture. Jesus says, be my disciples, so continue in my word, Scripture, uh, Spirit, saints. And you're like, wait, I thought we were talking about freedom. When, when did we stop talking about freedom? Because 
you know, you're on a roll at the beginning, making people mad, and then you just went into all this you know, Bible stuff. So what happened? We're getting there, okay? This, this, this verse about continue my word, you're really my disciple, that was the context for the freedom part. Because then Jesus says this, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Who has ever heard that before? Right? It's like, if you have lived in some sort of a Western culture or Western society, you've probably heard that phrase before. You may not, may not have known that it came from Jesus, but you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. This is all over the place. Like, politicians say this, right? Like, I'm a candidate of truth. We're the party of truth, and the truth will set you free. Revolutionaries say this. We're trying to lead a revolt. Like, the people are going to rise up. We're throwing off the man. We're going to know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Conspiracy theorists will, like, say this. They're like, I was a sheep, but now my eyes have been opened, okay? The truth will set you free. Come, brother. Come join us, right? It's like, the truth will set you free. I don't know what this is. a meme. It's either from, like, Parks and Rex or the rest of the development. The guy, like, at the whiteboard. It's like that idea. Anyway, okay, I got way cultural references um, today. Uh, but, but then, like, it, it's said by like educational institutions, um, colleges. It's, it's on like in, like packets and statues and buildings. With, the truth frees. The truth will set you free. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. But this is why I spent so much time on the last part because this verse does not live in isolation. Like Jesus, when he says, "You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free," like that's just not just floating out there somewhere. And he's talking about some general sense of if you have more information or education, that's what will free you. This is part of a cause and effect statement. He says, "Hey, you're my disciple. You're going to remain in my word, and then you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free." That if, you're, if you're living in this story, the story of Scripture that finds its culmination in Jesus, because a couple of chapters later, Jesus goes on to say, "Hey, I am the truth." This, this, this story, this scripture that's being told throughout history, it culminates in the person of Jesus who is the embodiment of truth. It's like, you live in my word, you're going to see who I am, and that truth will set you free. That is the truth that will free you. That is the truth. Not your truth, not my truth, not the right's truth, not the left's truth, not just more information, not more education. Those things don't ultimately free us. But the truth of Jesus. And this is an idea that our, our culture doesn't like that much. The idea that there is such a thing as absolute truth. We live in what's called uh, postmodernism, where it's just kind of like, hey, you know, your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. There is no such thing as absolute truth. And that is, that is very, very new on the scene of human history. It's like a, maybe 100 years old. Up until that time, we were in the age of, of modernism or modernity, where it was like it was about facts and, and logic and reason. We wanted to test things. We wanted to do science. And we get to the bottom of things. How exactly does the world work? And then along came a generation that said, we don't need that. You have your truth. I have my truth, which, which sounds compassionate. It sounds like, okay, I get that, that works, um, that, that, that's nice. But when you dig under the surface a little bit, it actually is an untenable way to live. Because at the end of the day, even though we may say there's no such thing as truth, we all actually live our lives like there are things that are 100% true. I mean, you go to the bank this week and, and walk up to the window and be like, hey, you know, I'd like to take $50,000 out of my account. And the teller says, sir, you only have $50 in your account. You cannot say, well, that's your truth, okay? Mine says there's 50, it just doesn't work. Like, there's just things that, at the end of the day. And it's like, okay, there's, and so Jesus, he's, he's pushing against this and saying, listen, there is such a thing as truth. And it's found in me, it's found in my word, and it is something that will free you. Go after truth. Base your life on truth. Pursue truth. And again, not just any truth, but it's like, hey, this is who Jesus is. This is how he's been revealed in his word. If you go after truth, you will find freedom. But we've come along and flipped that. So she's like, hey, make truth the highest priority and you'll find freedom. We say, no, if I make freedom the highest priority, I'll find truth. 
that if I can figure out what feels the most free to me, I'll decide that that's true. That if I, what, what, what may, when I feel free, that is what I will determine is my truth. And the problem being, like, well, you can never challenge that. That's just internal. It's just subjective. And you say, again, this is, this is true to me. Whatever feels like freedom must be true, so I'm going to buy it hook, line, and sinker. And this is one of the dynamics that feeds into the cultural moment that where we're in, where everything is so polarized and everything is so divided. And everything, everything now has to go into one of two buckets, left or right. Progressive or conservative, even if it has nothing to do with politics, right? It's like, well, this is, this is the way that you have to view the world because we don't have overarching narratives of how to view the world anymore. And so we, we are in this place of my, my freedom, like that's what I'm, how I'm going to define truth. And so there'll be two people on two polar opposites that see the exact same circumstance, the exact same thing, and will come to polar opposite views and be 100% convinced that I'm 100% right and you're 100% wrong and just stupid and evil. Because neither one has really wanted to, to land on truth, but what feels like freedom. So it must be true. This is why we now, this is the part where I said it might get a little tense. This is why we live in an era of fake news and alternative facts. Because what is truth after all? This is why we live in an era where on one side of things, there's a denial of basic human biology. that's about five seconds old in the terms of human history. There's a thinking that everything's just about power and people that look like me are the problem. And if you're wanting to get really excited about that and think, yep, that's right, or if you're really mad at that, just hold on. Because on the other side of things, there's a whole group of people that have bought into, hey, you know, it's all about QAnon. Let's storm the Capitol. Let me just find whatever whack job pastors on the internet and take his word over my local shepherd who cares about me. We can't trust elections. It's all bogus. It was stolen. Now everybody's mad. Because we live in an age and a time where it says it doesn't matter what's actually true. I'm not even concerned about truth. What feels free? What feels right? And that'll be true. You've got your truth and I've got mine. And meanwhile, we hate each other and tear each other apart. And here's what Jesus is inviting us to. That his followers, the church, is not called to say, well, let me just pick what's the lesser of two evils or let me just kind of live in this, this space where I'm wishy-washy. You know, I don't really like that, but I gotta choose something. He says, no, I want you to create a third way to live. Like the, the followers of Jesus, the church is meant to be an outpost of the kingdom of heaven in the midst of Babylon. That's what the church is called to be. Say, no, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not into your freedoms and truth or your freedoms and truth. I'm into the truth of Jesus because I truly believe that he has set me free and he will set people free. He's like, that's what I'm here to do. And so go after truth. Find the truth that is in the word of Jesus that culminates in his life, his death, his resurrection for the love of humanity. And in that, you'll get freedom. Go after truth, you'll get freedom. But if you pursue truth, you won't end, or if you pursue freedom, you won't end up with either. It's like, listen, I'm, 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 I'm the truth, man. The truth is revealed in my word. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And we don't like that that much. Jesus' original audience didn't like that that much either. And so they tell him, hey, listen, we're descendants of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say we'll become free? And they're like, wait a minute, we're, talking about, we're not slavery. You're, you're crazy, Jesus. You're crazy. We're not slaves, which is a, a little ironic if you know the, the story of the history of, uh, of Israel. Like, their whole story was a story of slavery, they were first enslaved by the Egyptians, and then they were in exile under uh, the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks. And when Jesus says this, they're under like the Roman occupation. He's like, what are you talking about? You guys were literally slaves, like right now. But it's likely they're not actually talking about physical slavery, because they've said like, hey, we're descendants of Abraham. 
They're thinking like on a spiritual level. Hey, we, to the Jewish people, now we're, we're connected in the right ways. We're, we're the right people. We have the right like kind of ethnicity and heritage. We're God's chosen people. So spiritually, we're free because we worship the one true God. We're God's people. We're good. And so they have an idea of freedom. We have an idea of freedom. And Jesus says, you're, you're both actually wrong. Because while you think you might be free, you're enslaved. I tell you, everyone who commits a sin is a slave of sin. So this, this is the actual issue. It's this, this problem that has infected the world, the issue of sin. The, the, the very beginning when people say, God, we don't need you. We don't want you. We want to do things our own way. And death and destruction and evil and violence has reigned since then. He says, you're a slave to it. You, you, you're, you're a slave to it. And when we, when we challenge that, he's like, well, wait, 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 wait. Are, are you forgetting? See, we, we think freedom is being able to do whatever we want whenever we want to do it. And he's like, that's actually not freedom. Freedom is being able to do whatever you want, but also being able to say, I'm not going to. Because there's this, I'm going to do whatever I want because that feels desires. I'm a slave to, to just like my appetites. And Jesus is like, hey, are you not forgetting that you're a slave to money and to greed? And so you work like crazy and neglecting your family and neglecting what God is calling you to because you're like, well, I gotta, I, gotta, you know, I gotta make that paper, gotta make money. It's like, are you, are you forgetting that, that you're a slave to, to, to sex, whether that's what culture says about it or you've got like a, a secret pornography addiction that nobody knows about or the way that you post and reveal yourself on, online because the clicks give you like self-esteem? He's like, are you forgetting that you're a slave to that? Are you forgetting that you're a slave to status and what people think about you rather than finding you are your worth in God? Are you forgetting you're a slave to fear and anxiety and worry? Are you forgetting that you're a slave to anger and the way that man, you treat the people at work or the people that you live with is just atrocious? Are you forgetting that there's things that you do and there's ways that you see the world that, that even you are like, I hate that I do that, I hate that I do these things, but I just can't seem to stop? And Jesus, I think, would ask, well, what do you call someone who doesn't like what they're doing but can't stop or wants to do other things but can't? I think he would say, I would call that, that person a slave to sin. And there's the, the, the aspect and the factor of our personal sin that like when we do wrong things, we don't do the right things. Like there's that personal thing that we can't even control. But even just on a broad picture, we're a slave to sin because there's other people who do things that are evil. There's other people who, who sin, who do what is wrong. And the collateral damage hurts us and we have no control over it. Or sin in general, when it enters into the world, it brings death with it. And so the reality is, at the end of our lives, we are all staring death in the face and there's nothing that we can do about it. He says, you're, you're a slave to sin. We go around saying, I'm free, I'm an American, I can do what I want whenever I want. But he's like, you, you can. You're a slave to sin. He says, a slave does not remain in the house forever, but a son does remain. So if the son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Remember, he's talking to these, these Jewish people and they've, they've, they've just said, we're Abraham's descendants, meaning they're part of Abraham's family, meaning they're part of the family of God. So they're like, we're, we're, we're in the family. We're in the family of faith, the family of God. And once you're part of a family, like you're always a part of that family. I mean, even if you kind of get estranged or you're the weird one in the family or whatever, you're still technically part of that family. And they're like, so we're good. We're part of the family. And he's like, you think you are, but you're actually slaves. You actually have a different dad. And he says, if the son sets you free, he is the true son the son of God, the true son of God, the true son of Abraham. Jesus is the only one in all of human history who has never been a slave to sin. It's never had effect over him. He says, I am the only true son, so I have the authority to free you if you are a slave, and you are. 
I'm offering true freedom. You're not sons, you're slaves. You have a different father. Now what he says to them, we can't even, it's so hard for us to understand how much of a slap in the face this was. Because he's like, you think God's your father? You have a different father. You've got some serious dad issues. He says, you are of your father, the devil. But hey, like Satan's your dad, guys. That's like, whoa, dang. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning. He does not stand in the truth. There is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. Because here, here's Satan's story. At the very beginning, you know, you got humanity and they're just doing their thing and they're, they're in relationship with God and they're living what God wants and Satan comes along and says, hey, actually, does God really have your best interest in mind? He doesn't care about you. He doesn't know what's best for you. Why don't you go ahead and define freedom for yourselves and truth for yourselves and good and evil for yourselves? Why don't you seize control and autonomy? Because God doesn't care about you. And humanity does. We choose to define those things on our own terms and death enters into the world. He's a murderer. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And so we come to this passage, man, and it's, it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. And as uncomfortable as it is for us, we can't even begin to imagine, again, his first century Jewish audience that would just be like, You've got to be kidding us. You do not talk to us like this. We are the Jewish people. We are Jewish leaders. But he forces us to come to this place where he says, you know, there's, there's really only one of two ways that you can see life and see the world and operate. There's one of two, like, authoritative meta-narratives that you can have, stories that you can have, paths that you can walk down, ways you can see the world. You, you, you'll either live out of the story that is one of, uh, of lies and death and enslavement that originates in Satan. It takes a lot of different forms, but it's one path. It's the same view. Or... You can live out of the narrative of truth and freedom and life. And Jesus says, I'm here to give that to you. I want you to be free. I want you to be free. So which one are we living out of? Which one are we choosing? Do you know the truth? Has it freed you? So whether you're a follower of Jesus, a Christian, or you're still exploring, got questions, I think where I would leave all of us is just to ask this question. Like, evaluate what is the narrative, what is the authority that you're living your life out of? And is it one that you've intentionally chosen, or is it just kind of happened without you knowing? And is the narrative that you're living your life out of, does it bring freedom? Does it bring the freedom that Jesus offers? And so I don't know where this lands with you. Maybe your next step is to, hey, I want to actually get into God's word. You can explore Bible plans and resources on our website. Maybe your step is just to keep coming back and to explore more and to ask some more questions about this Jesus guy. We talk about him every week. Maybe your next step is to jump into a community group. There's all kinds of things. I would invite you to explore the next steps page on the website or go to the kiosk. But more than anything else, just hear this, that Jesus wants you to be free and he has paid the price so you can be. There's life, death, and resurrection. Jesus has said freedom is available to all. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much um, that we can have freedom in you. Lord, I, I thank you, um, Jesus, that because of what you've done, through your life, your death, your resurrection, you have, you have breaking, broken the chains that, that hold us in bondage. You have offered a way out of, of the lies, out of sin, out of death, out of enslavement. God, I pray that we'd be people that boldly walk into your truth. You just help us to explore your word, that you, as we do that, that you would reveal more and more of yourself to us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.